Section 28 of To the Last Man by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14, Part 2. The silence ensuing was fraught with a suspense that held Jean in cold bonds. He saw the girl below rise from her knees, one hand holding the blouse to her breast, the other extended, and with strange, repressed, almost frantic look, she swayed toward the door. "'Well, talk,' ordered Coulter harshly. "'Jim, there ain't a hell of a lot,' replied Springer, drawing a deep breath. "'But what there is is sure interesting. Me and Summers took Antonio with us. He left his woman with the sheep. And we rode up the canyon, clumb out on top, and made a circle back on the ridge. That's the way we've been hunting for tracks.' Up there in a bare spot, we run plumb into Queen, sitting against a tree, right out in the open. Queerest sight you ever seen. The damn gunfighter had set down to wait for Isbel, who was trailing him, as we suspected. And he died there. He wasn't cold when we found him. Summers was quick to see a trick. So he propped Queen up and tied the guns to his hands. And Jim, the queerest thing about that deal was this. Queen's guns was empty, not a shell left. It beat us holler. We left him there and hid up high on the bluff, maybe a hundred yards off. The horses we left back of a thicket. And we waited there for a long time. But sure enough, the half-breed come. He was too smart, too much engine. He would not cross the open, but went around. And then he seen Queen. It was great to watch him. After a little... He shoved his rifle out and went right for Queen. This is when I wanted to shoot. I could have plugged him, but Summers says wait and make it sure. When Isbel got up to Queen, he was sort of half hid by a tree. I couldn't wait no longer, so I shot. I hit him, too. We all begun to shoot. Summer showed himself, and that's when Isbel opened up. He used up a whole magazine on Summers, and then, sudden-like, he quit. It didn't take me long to figure maybe he was out of shells. When I seen him run, I was certain of it. Then we made for the horses and rode after Isbel. Pretty soon I seen him running like a deer down the ridge. I yelled and spurred after him. There's where Antonio quit me. But I kept on, and I got a shot at Isbel. He ran out of sight. I followed him by spots of blood on the stones and grass until I couldn't trail him no more. He must have gone down over the cliffs. He couldn't have done nothing else without me seeing him. I found his rifle, and here it is to prove what I say. I had to go back to climb down off the rim, and I rode fast down the canyon. He's somewhere along that west wall, hiding in the brush. Hard hit, if I know anything about the color of blood. "'Well, that beats me holla, too,' ejaculated Coulter. "'Jim, what's to be done?' inquired Springer eagerly. "'If we're sharp, we can corral that half-breed. "'He's the last of the Isbels.' "'More, pard. "'He's the last of the Isbel outfit,' declared Coulter. "'If you can show me blood in his tracks, I'll trail him.' "'You can bet I'll show you,' rejoined the other rustler. "'But listen.' Wouldn't it be better for us first to see if he crossed the canyon? I reckon he didn't, but let's make sure. And if he didn't, 
We'll have him somewhere along the West Canyon wall. He's not got no gun. He'll never run that way if he had. Jim, he's our meat. Sure, he'll have that knife, pondered Coulter. We needn't worry about that, said the other positively. He's hard hit, I tell you. All we got to do is find that bloody trail again and stick to it. Going careful. He's laying low like a crippled wolf. Springer, I want the job of finishing that half-breed, his Coulter. I'll give ten years of my life to stick a gun down his throat and shoot it off. All right, let's rustle. Maybe you'll not have to give much more than ten minutes, because I tell you I can find him. It's been easy, but, Jim, I reckon I was afraid. Leave your horse for me and go ahead, the rustler then said brusquely. I've got a job in the cabin here. Ha, ha. Well, Jim, I'll rustle a bit down the trail and wait. No hunting John Isabel alone, not for me. I've had a queer feeling about that knife he used on Greaves, and I reckon you ought to let that Jorth hussy alone long enough to... Springer, I reckon I've got the hog tire. His voice became indistinguishable, and footsteps attested to a slow moving away of the men. Jean had listened with ears acutely strung to catch every syllable, while his gaze rested upon Ellen, who stood beside the door. Every line of her body denoted a listening intensity. Her back was toward Jean, so that he could not see her face, and he did not want to see, but he could not help seeing her naked shoulders. She put her head out of the door. Suddenly, she drew it in quickly and half turned her face, slowly raising her white arm. This was the left one, and bore the mark of Coulter's hard fingers. She gave a little gasp. Her eyes became large and staring. They were bent on the hand that she had removed from a step on the ladder. On hand and wrist showed a bright red smear of blood. Jean, with a convulsive leap of his heart, realized that he had left his bloody tracks on the ladder as he had climbed. That moment seemed the supremely terrible one of his life. Ellen Jorth's face blanched and her eyes darkened and dilated with exceeding amaze and flashing thought to become fixed with horror. That instant was the one in which her reason connected the blood on the ladder with the escape of Jean Isbel. One moment she leaned there, still as a stone except for her heaving breast, and then her fixed gaze changed to a swift, dark blaze, comprehending yet inscrutable, as she flashed it up the ladder to the loft. She could see nothing, yet she knew, and Jean knew that she knew, he was there. A marvelous transformation passed over her features, and even over her form. Jean choked with the ache in his throat. Slowly, she put the bloody hand behind her, while with the other, she still held the torn blouse to her breast. Coulter's slouching musical step sounded outside, and it might have been a strange breath of infinitely vitalizing and passionate life blown into the wellsprings of Ellen Jorth's being. Isbel had no name for her then. The spirit of a woman had been to him a thing unknown. She swayed back from the door against the wall in singular, softened poise, as if all the steel had melted out of her body. And as Coulter's tall shadow fell across the threshold, 
John Isabel felt himself staring with eyeballs that ached, straining incredulous sight at this woman who in a few seconds had bewildered his senses with her transfiguration. He saw, but could not comprehend. "'Jim, I heard all Springer told you,' she said. The look of her dumbfounded colter and her voice seemed to shake him visibly. "'Suppose you did. What then?' he demanded harshly, as he halted with one booted foot over the threshold. Malignant and forceful, he eyed her darkly, doubtfully. "'I'm afraid,' she whispered. "'What, of me?' "'No, of, of John Isbel. He might kill you, and then where would I be?' "'Well, I'm damned,' ejaculated the rustler. "'What's got into you?' He moved to enter, but a sort of fascination bound him. "'Jim, I hated you a moment ago,' she burst out. "'But now, with that Jean Isbel somewhere near, hiding, watching to kill you, and maybe me too, I, I don't hate you any more. Take me away.' "'Girl, have you lost your nerve?' he demanded. "'My God, Coulter, can't you see?' she implored. "'Won't you take me away?' "'I sure will, presently,' he replied grimly. "'But you'll wait till I've shot the lights out of this Isbel.' "'No,' she cried. "'Take me away now, and I'll give in. "'I'll be what you want. "'You can do with me as you like.' Coulter's lofty frame leaped, as if at the release of bursting blood. With a lunge, he cleared the threshold to loom over her. "'Am I out of my head, or are you?' he asked, in low, hoarse voice. His darkly corded face expressed extreme amaze. "'Jim, I mean it,' she whispered, edging an inch nearer him, her white face uplifted, her dark eyes unreadable in their eloquence and mystery. "'I've no friend but you. I'll be yours. I'm lost. What does it matter?' If you want me, take me now, before I kill myself. Ellen Jorth, there's something wrong about you, he responded. Did you tell the truth when you denied ever being a sweetheart of Sim Bruce? Yes, I told you the truth. Uh-huh. And how do you account for laying me out with every dirty name you could give tongue to? Oh, it was temper. I wanted to be let alone. Temper? Well, I reckon you've got one, he retorted grimly. And I'm not sure you're not crazy or lying. An hour ago I couldn't touch you. You may now, if you promise to take me away at once. This place has got on my nerves. I couldn't sleep here with that Isbel hiding round. Could you? Well, I reckon I'd not sleep very deep. Then let us go. He shook his lean, eagle-like head in slow, doubtful vehemence, and his piercing gaze studied her distrustfully. Yet all the while there was manifest in his strung frame an almost irrepressible violence held in abeyance to his will. That about you are being so good, he inquired, with a return of the mocking drawl. Never mind what's past, she flashed, with passion dark as his. I've made my offer. Sure there's a lie about you somewhere, he muttered thickly. Man, could I do more, she demanded in scorn. No, but it's a lie, he returned. You'll get me to take you away, and then fool me, run off. God knows what. Women are all liars. Manifestly, he could not believe in her strange transformation. Memory of her wild, passionate denunciation of him and his kind 
must have seared even his callous soul. But the ruthless nature of him had not weakened nor softened in the least as to his intentions. This weather-vane veering of hers bewildered him, obsessed him with its possibilities. He had the look of a man who was divided between love of her and hate, whose love demanded a return, but whose hate required a proof of her abasement. Not proof of surrender, but proof of her shame. The ignominy of him thirsted for its like. He could grind her beauty under his heel, but he could not soften to this feminine inscrutableness. And whatever was the truth of Ellen Jorth in this moment, beyond Coulter's gloomy and stunted intelligence, beyond even the love of John Isbel, it was something that held the balance of mastery. She read Coulter's mind. She dropped the torn blouse from her hand and stood there, unashamed, with the wave of her white breast pulsing, eyes black as night and full of hell, her face white, tragic, terrible, yet strangely lovely. "'Take me away,' she whispered, stretching one white arm toward him, then the other. Coulter, even as she moved, had leaped with inarticulate cry and radiant face to meet her embrace. But it seemed, just as her left arm flashed up toward his neck, that he saw her bloody hand and wrist. Strange how that checked his ardor. Threw up his lean head, like that striking bird of prey. Blood? What the hell, he ejaculated. And in one sweep he grasped her. How'd you do that? Are you cut? Hold still. Ellen could not release her hand. I scratched myself, she said. Where? All that blood? And suddenly he flung her hand back with fierce gesture, and the gleams of his yellow eyes were like the points of leaping flames. They pierced her, read the secret falsity of her. Slowly he stepped backward, guardedly. His hand moved to his gun, and his glance circled and swept the interior of the cabin. As if he had a nose of a hound in sight to follow scent, his eyes bent to the dust of the ground before the door. He quivered, grew rigid as stone, and then moved his head with exceeding slowness, as if searching through a microscope in the dust. Farther to the left, to the foot of the ladder, and up one step, another a third, all the way up to the loft. Then he whipped out his gun and wheeled to face the girl. Ellen, you've got your half-breed here, he said with a terrible smile. She neither moved nor spoke. There was a suggestion of collapse, but it was only a change where the alluring softness of her hardened into a strange, rapt glow. And in it seemed the same mastery that had characterized her former aspect. Herein the treachery of her was revealed. She had known what she meant to do in any case. Coulter, standing at the door, reached a long arm toward the ladder, where he laid his hand on a rung. Taking it away, he held it palm outward for her to see the dark splotch of blood. See? Yes, I see, she said ringingly. Passion wrenched him, transformed him. All that about leaving here with me, about giving in, was a lie. No, Coulter, it was a truth. I'll go yet, now, if you'll spare him. She whispered the last word and made a slight movement of her hand toward the loft. Girl, he exploded incredulously, 
You love this half-breed, this Isbel. You love him. With all my heart. Thank God. It has been my glory. It might have been my salvation. But now I'll go to hell with you, if you'll spare him. Damn my soul, rasped out the rustler, as if something of respect was wrung from that sordid deep of him. You, you woman, Jorth will turn over in his grave. He'll rise out of his grave, if this Isabel got you. Hurry, hurry, implored Ellen. Springer may come back. I think I heard a call. Well, Ellen Jorth, I'll not spare Isabel nor you, he returned, with dark and meaning leer, as he turned to ascend the ladder. John Isabel, too, had reached the climax of his suspense. Gathering all his muscles in a knot, he prepared to leap upon Coulter as he mounted the ladder. But Ellen Jorth screamed piercingly and snatched her rifle from its resting place, and cocking it, she held it forward and low. Coulter! Her scream and his uttered name stiffened him. You'll spare Jean Isabel, she rang out. Drop that gun, drop it. Sure, Ellen, easy now. Remember your temper. I'll let Isbel off. He panted huskily, and all his body sank quiveringly to a crouch. Drop your gun. Don't turn round, Coulter. I'll kill you. But even then he failed to divine the meaning and the spirit of her. Oh, now, Ellen, he entreated, in louder, huskier tones, as if dragged by fatal doubt of her still, he began to turn. Crash! The rifle emptied its contents into Coulter's breast. All his body sprang up. He dropped the gun. Both hands fluttered toward her, and an awful surprise flashed over his face. So help me God, he whispered, with blood thick in his voice. Then darkly, as one groping, he reached for her with shaking hands. You, you white-throated hussy, I'll... He grasped the quivering rifle barrel. Crash! She shot him again. As he swayed over her and fell, she had to leap aside, and his clutching hand tore the rifle from her grasp. Then in convulsion he writhed, to heave on his back and stretch out, a ghastly spectacle. Ellen backed away from it, her white arms wide, a slow horror blotting out the passion of her face. Then from without came a shrill call and the sound of rapid footsteps. Ellen leaned against the wall, staring at Coulter. "'Hey, Jim, what's the shooting?' called Springer, breathlessly. As his form darkened the doorway, Jean once again gathered all his muscular force for a tremendous spring. Springer saw the girl first, and he appeared thunderstruck. His jaw dropped. He needed not the white gleam of her person to transfix him. Her eyes did that, and they were riveted in unutterable horror upon something on the ground. Thus instinctively directed, Springer espied Coulter. You, you've shot him, he shrieked. What for, you hussy? Ellen Jorth, if you've killed him, I'll... He strode toward where Coulter lay. Then Jean, rising silently, took a step, and like a tiger he launched himself into the air, down upon the rustler. Even as he leaped, Springer gave a quick upward look, and he cried out. Jean's moccasined feet struck him squarely and sent him staggering into the wall, where his head hit hard. Jean fell, but bounded up 
as the half-stunned Springer drew his gun. Then John lunged forward with a single sweep of his arm and looked no more. Ellen ran swaying out of the door, and once clear of the threshold, she tottered out on the grass to sink to her knees. The bright golden sunlight gleamed upon her white shoulders and arms. Jean had one foot out of the door when he saw her, and he whirled back to get her blouse. But Springer had fallen upon it. Snatching up a blanket, Jean ran out. Ellen, 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 he cried, it's over. And reaching her, he tried to wrap her in the blanket. She wildly clutched his knees. Jean was conscious only of her white, agonized face and the dark eyes with their look of terrible strain. "'Did you? Did you?' she whispered. "'Yes, it's over,' he said gravely. "'Ellen, the Isabel Jorth feud is ended.' "'Oh, thank God!' she cried in breaking voice. "'Jean, you're wounded. The blood on the step.' "'My arm. See, it's not bad. "'Ellen, let me wrap this round you.' Folding the blanket around her shoulders, he held it there and entreated her to get up. But she only clung closer. She hid her face on his knees. Long shudders rippled over her, shaking the blanket, shaking John's hands. Distraught, he did not know what to do, and his own heart was bursting. "'Ellen, you must not kneel there that way,' he implored. "'Jean, Jean,' she moaned, and clung the tighter. He tried to lift her up, but she was a dead weight, and with that hold on him seemed anchored at his feet. I killed Coulter, she gasped. I had to kill him. I offered to fling myself away. For me, he cried poignantly, Oh, Ellen, Ellen, the world has come to an end. Hush, don't keep saying that. Of course you killed him. You saved my life, for I'd never have let you go off with him. Yes, you killed him. You're a Jorth, and I'm an Isbel. We've blood on our hands, both of us. I for you and you for me. His voice of entreaty and sadness strengthened her, and she raised her white face, loosening her clasp to lean back and look up. Tragic, sweet, despairing, the loveliness of her, the significance of her there on her knees, thrilled him to his soul. Blood on my hands, she whispered. Yes, it was awful, killing him. But all I care for in this world is for your forgiveness and your faith that saved my soul. Child, there's nothing to forgive, he responded. Nothing. Please, Ellen. I lied to you, she cried. I lied to you. Ellen, listen, darling. And the tender epithet brought her head and arms back close pressed to him. I know now, he faltered on. I found out today what I believed. And I swear to God, by the memory of my dead mother, down in my heart, I never, never believed what they, what you, tried to make me believe. Never. Jean, I love you, love you, love you, she breathed, with exquisite, passionate sweetness. Her dark eyes burned up into his. Ellen, I can't lift you up, he said, in trembling eagerness, signifying his crippled arm. But I can kneel with you. End of chapter 14, part 2 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Real Medina, Texas. End of To the Last Man by Zane Gray.